There is... What is it? Yeah, it's... No, 67 verses. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to probably walk through the first half of it. And then I'll summarize the second half just for time's sake. This is not really how I like to do it because I like for when we get done, I want to be able to say we actually read verse by verse through the whole book. But um, we're just not going to have time. And all this, this whole chapter is uh, one section. So it, it, it was hard. I tried to think about ways to break it up into two sections. and It just doesn't, it doesn't flow that way. So there's a lot of repetition in it too. So we'll be able to do that. Uh, the point today, if you've been if you've been with us through Genesis, you, you know that the the theme of the book is God's promise. He's keeping his promise. He made a promise when the creation fell that he was going to bring forth a seed uh, and that seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. And we've watched that promise move uh, from uh, uh, Seth to Noah to Abraham. And each each uh, each time that uh, one of these people we focused on Abraham's life here in the last bunch of chapters, this is the last time we're going to hear from Abraham. Uh, each time we saw uh, that promise get in jeopardy. You know, he promised Abraham a seed. He promised that through the your seed, the all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And we know that the fulfillment of that seed is in fact Jesus Christ. So we know that that's what we're talking about as we talk about the promise. Every time that promise was in jeopardy, we saw God jump in and save it. You know, in some kind of way, he, uh, he, he, um, Move the heart of Abimelech to keep him from uh, defiling Abraham and Sarah's marriage. You know, he he, uh, he stepped in every time the promise, uh, whether it be by armies that were coming in to destroy from the outside or whether it be by Abraham's own sinful heart. God stepped in because God is going to protect his promise and he's always going to be faithful to his word. And so that means he's going to do what's necessary. We saw him work through the sinfulness of of Abraham even, you know, when Abraham was doing really stupid things, we saw him protect that promise. Well, today, you're not, I guess it could be miraculous, but what we're going to talk about is God's providence. God is work. God works through providence as well as he does through miracles. And this is Abraham finding a wife for Isaac. And, and so we're going to talk about that. Anybody know what providence is when we talk about God's providence? Providence is not a community over there in Denmark. It is when we talk about providence. Anybody? Providence is it's it's when God works through the ordinary things of life. You know, you ever, you ever, I'm trying to think of an example. This is probably not the best example, but you know, you ever try to get out of the house in the morning and you can't find your keys and everything's going wrong and now you're 45 minutes late and just, uh, you know, you just can't get things going. And so you, you, you get to get to Walmart an hour later than you wanted to. And it just so happens as you're walking out, you meet someone that, you know, walking or as you're walking in, somebody that you know is coming out and you get an opportunity to witness that person or whatever. You wouldn't have had that opportunity if everything would have went right. That's God working through providence. If you if you it's just God working through the normal events of life. It's not anything miraculous when God does miracles you see the 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 you know nature the laws of nature are suspended and God does something that's just impossible to to happen and it happens all the time we've seen that before um, but w- God more often than not works through providence he just works through 
the, the, the normal everyday things of life. You can see, uh, see God. Anybody have any story like that of God moving just in the normal events of life? It just so happened that so-and-so was at the right place at the right time. and just, Things like that go on and God works in those things. God's in control of, uh, of all things in that way. Anybody? Uh, this past week when we went to Dunkin' Donuts. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing. Um, as crazy as that sounds, we get there. Um, and long, long story short, this lady is just gracious in, you know, giving us massive amounts of, of donuts for a, a half the price. And I think, I don't even remember how it all came about, but it was more of those, you know, you're going to be blessed for doing this for, for these kids. And, yeah. and then one of us said, you know, are you a believer? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And she said yes. And you know, but it just just the way it came about. You know, it gave us it gave us as grown women <coughs> a chance to to unite together yeah. and witness to this lady. And you know, you don't know her heart, but you know, all you have to go is by her testimony. Right. But she was she was she was very giving, and she didn't have to be. Yeah. And if we hadn't, uh, if Dana hadn't seen that Dunkin' Donuts sign, that would have never happened. It was just, it just. <laughs> oh, trust me, Dana saw that Dunkin' Donuts sign coming in. She saw that Joker when we first got there. I promise you. All right, so yeah. This was the Dunkin' Donuts thing is about the youth trip. We were trying to save money and do things, and we ended up getting a bunch of donuts for. I mean, a bunch. But when we first walked into this place, this woman had her back to us. Wouldn't acknowledge us. Had a radio going, and was just she started out being kind of ugly, and finally I was like, "Excuse me," she was just completely ignoring us. And I thought, "Oh, this." Is, and then then when she talked, she mumbled and different things. So it started out kind of bad, and then she ended up. Blessing. Ended up yeah, being good. We got yeah. to ask her about Jesus and her son. She says she takes her son to church. So good. it didn't start out good. We thought it was going to be a right. horrible experience. And but how ordinary is that life when you walk into something and just doesn't seem like it's going to be good at it all? Turns and out then to be amazing. And then when God puts His hand on it, ends up being the thing that kind of sticks <coughs> out the most. Yeah, amazing, Dave. Providence is proof of something. You have, let's say, a guitar or whatever. You say it's made by or it was owned by a certain person. If you have providence to approve paperwork, it tells that it's true. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, in this story, what we're going to see is God is working all through it. But what we're going to do is we're going to get lessons about... How Abraham trusts in the providence of God and how he acts in the providence of God. Providence and letting God work does not mean that you sit on your hands and wait for it to fall out of the sky. You know, it doesn't mean, you know, if uh, I often tell people, you know, trust in God for groceries doesn't mean you don't have to get up and take your butt to the grocery store. You know, it's not going to get miracled in your cabinet. I guess it could get miracled into your cabinets, but that's usually not how it's going to be done. So Abraham is, he's coming to the end of his life. We saw 
saw Sarah die in the last chapter, and now the the promises are. He's he's starting to realize the promises are not going to be fulfilled in my lifetime. Uh, yes, he has Isaac, but Isaac has no wife. Isaac has no seed. He owns now. He owns just one little bitty plot in the promised land. He's been promised the whole promised land, but he didn't own anything at Sarah's death, and he bought a burial plot for her, a burial ground for her, and turned that into his family burial ground. And so he's recognizing that I'm going to die before I ever inherit the promised land, or before uh, I ever see Isaac's seed, uh, the promised seed, come to fruition. And so he starts to prepare. He starts to prepare for uh, for the seed of, of the promise to come through Isaac and all those kind of things. And what we're going to see, let's just start reading the first couple of verses. He trusts in God's providence. God is going to take care of this. That's what that means. God is going to take care of it, and I'm trusting in Him. But He also acts to prepare for God to take care of it. Does that make sense? So if you're praying, you know, you're praying for something, you know, a lot of times uh, God will provide you the means of it that will come through, you know, ordinary, ordinary means. It doesn't mean you just sit on your couch and say, you know, God, please. Please grant me, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of examples that are not ridiculous. But like, God, please give me enough money to pay my light bill. You don't just sit there on the couch and wait for it to fall out of the sky. You know, God is going to God's going to use all kind of things. He might use people. He might use someone to bless you. He might use uh, your boss at work, giving you some extra, you know, whatever. He might use all kind of different methods, but it's God's work in the midst of it. Abraham trusts the promise, but he's going to act on it. Look at verse 1. It says, Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. We've seen that throughout Abraham's life. Even when Abraham needed a good chastisement, God blessed him in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou Thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my uh, my son Isaac. He is preparing for Isaac to have a wife. Now, if Isaac is going to have a seed, a son, if the son, if the seed of promise, the seed of God, uh, which we know is Jesus Christ through the line of Isaac and David and all those, uh, if he is going to have, he's going to have to have a wife. And so he makes his servant. Uh, we're not told the name of the servant is not given in this whole chapter, uh, but he tells the servant, I need you to swear to me that you would take oath that you would go to my homeland, which is Haran. Last week, uh, last week I mistakenly said it was Ur of the Chaldees. That's where he came out of uh, to go to Haran. He left his family in Haran when God called him to the promised land. Uh, he says, I want you to go back there and I want you to find a wife for, wife for Isaac. He charges his servant by sticking his hand under his thigh. That's something you're going to see over and over again. Uh, Joseph uh, makes Jacob stick his hand, or Jacob makes Joseph stick his hand under his thigh to promise that I will bring bring your body back to Canaan and bury it there rather than bury it in Egypt. Uh, there are a lot of discussions as to why. Uh, I'd rather not get into them because they all center around, you know, that's where the 
sign of the covenant is, you know. So, you, okay, never mind. Uh, anyway, so he says, I'm going to charge you. He's, he's charging him by the Lord. Swear by the Lord God that you will not find, that you will not get a, a, um, a, son, a wife for my son out of these Canaanites in which I live. Why does he not want Isaac to have a Canaanite wife? Anybody? Huh? Intermingling with different nations. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. What? Lead him to Yeah, both of those are exactly correct. One leads to the other. In the Old Testament, over and over and over and over and over again, every time the godly line, the line of Seth, intermarries with another line, it always leads to idolatry. Always, always, always. That was the error of Balaam. Balaam uh, told the Midianites, uh, the Midianite king, to... to, uh, intermarry with them and that's going to lead him into idolatry. That's what happened to Solomon. He had all them wives and his wives led him into idolatry over and over again. And in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there in the Mosaic law, it was specifically stated that you will not intermarry with the people of the land. When you go in, when he, when Joshua to, took them into the land, they were not to intermarry with those people. And so he's saying, I do not want you to find a wife from the Canaanites here. I want you to go home to Haran, to the uh, to my brother, you know, Abraham's brother was Nahor, and from his family, from my line, from the line of Seth, I want you to find a wife for my for my son. Remember what happened when the line of Seth and the line of Cain started intermingling and mixing. What happened? Oh, come on, they've been that long ago. What happened? They when the sons of God. Saw the daughters of men, and they were beautiful. They begave, took wives among themselves. Y'all don't remember none of that? Yeah. What happened? The last time the lines got intermingled, God destroyed the world with a flood in order to separate Noah and his family and bring them forward as the, the bearers of the promised seed. And so he tells him, do not, do not go and get a wife from anywhere around here. You go back to the line of Seth is basically what he was talking about. You go back to this promised line and you get a wife for my son who is the promise, the, who, through whom the seed of promise is going to come and you get, get a wife from him uh, from there. Now notice, he is not, Abraham is preparing. He's preparing for the promise of God. God promised, remember, God promised Isaac would be the son of promise. God promised there would be a seed of the woman and that that seed would come through Isaac. Uh, Abraham could very well be like a lot of people today and just, you know, he's about to die. Just say, you know what? God's going to take care of it. Forget it. Let's just sit back and just relax. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. That's not how God operates. Abraham is acting on the promise. He is trusting God to fulfill his promise, but he is stepping out and preparing, acting responsibly. I call it placing himself in, in, the, in the way of providence, placing himself where God can work. Now, if Abraham had not done this, I have to believe God would have you know, done like he has done so many times before, reach down and act, reach down and do something. He would keep his word, but that is not how he has chosen to work.
work more often than not. Abraham understands if Isaac is going to have a son, got to have a wife. I mean, duh, that's one, two plus two equals four. And so he is going to bring a wife from the line of Seth, from his uh, extended family to come and to marry Isaac. And that way they would have, you know, the, the promised seed. OK, y'all with me? Any questions, comments, cries of outrage? No. <laughs> But you need to understand, he is not stepping out and saying, I'm going to get it done. He is actually trusting that God is going to get it done through my efforts. Okay? I know I'm kind of confusing you. It'll all turn around here in just a minute. Okay? It says in verse 5, let me read 5 through 9. And the servant, okay, the servant has sworn, I'm going to go home. I'm going to find a wife for Isaac. I'm going to bring her back. The servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from which thou came? He said, What if the woman don't want to come? You know, that, that's a pretty fair question, isn't it? You know, I mean, be honest. How many of you, if, if a dude shows up, even if he's driving a Bentley, man, and says, Look, my boss, he, he kind of likes your daughter. Uh, we live 400 miles away. Uh, I'm going to take her with me. How many of y'all going to say, okay? <laughs> yeah, right. Now, in this time, there's arranged marriages, so it's a different context. It's a different deal. But still, it's kind of, you know, he's, he's asking a fair question. What if she don't want to come? It's kind of hard. Let me at least take Isaac with me. Let me take him with me. That way, you know, they can get a load of goods or whatever. You know, they can, they can, see, they can see what they're getting. You know, at least let, he can be part of the negotiation or whatever. You know, and so he tells him, he, Abraham said to him, beware. It says, a very stern warning. This is not just a, hey, probably not a good idea. He warns him. He says, beware that thou bring not my son thither again. He says, do not. One thing, just make sure you do not bring my son back to that place, back to that land. In verse 7, he says, the Lord God of heaven. Now listen how he describes God. Abraham describes it to his servant. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from from the land of my kindred and which spoke to me and swore unto me saying unto thy seed I will give this land he shall send his angel before thee and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence he describes God as the promise keeping God right he doesn't just say I mean he very he could say you know God who is in control of all things and the king of kings and and the one who is king over heaven and earth and what that he could say all that all that's true but he describes God, his God, who this servant knows, serves his God, he describes him as the covenant-keeping God, the promise-keeping God, the God who called me out of my land to this land and swore to me that he was going to give my seed this land. He said, that God is going to make sure that you take a wife from my son. So he's not acting... Uh, without trusting. He's not saying, I'm going to get God's plan done. He's saying, we're going to act responsibly and we're going to act uh, strategically and we're going to do what needs to be done, but we're going to be trusting that God is going to be in this and he's going to take care of it. So he's not doing one over the other. He is both trusting God's promise and he is acting responsibly in the way that you know he is supposed to do in order to find a wife for his son. Everybody with me? Everybody tracking? We all good? Have you oh. noticed though that when we don't do that, when we when we say we're trusting God, but then we just kind of sit and wait and don't actively pursue after God, 
it's then that we blame God. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, why absolutely. Did God do this for me? It's the old two boats and a helicopter. You know, all y'all heard that joke. The two boats. No, nope. really. Nope. Okay, real quick then. You know, there's a man. He's the floods coming and the the flood waters up to his porch and a boat comes by and says, "Get in." He says, "Oh, the Lord will take care of me. Don't worry about it." Oh, now y'all heard it. Now that I've started. Yeah. And so the, he says, "The Lord will take care of me." And then the floods up to his roof and he's sitting on the roof and another boat comes by. Get in. He says, "Oh, the Lord will take care of me. Don't worry about it. I'm I'm with Jesus. He's got me." And then he's the floods up to the chimney. He's on his tiptoes and the water's up here and a helicopter flies over with a one in rope ladder. And he says, don't worry about the Lord. They will take care of me. I'm with Jesus. And and he drowns. <laughs> he died and goes to heaven. He said, Lord, I thought you was going to take care of me. He said, dang, I sent two boats in a helicopter for you. <laughs> you know, so God is acting. He's acting. It's not like you sitting on your hands waiting on God just to come on and do something. You are, out, you know, you praying for God to... Uh, Put gas in your car. You probably ought not drive past the gas station and expect him just to miracle it in there. You know what I mean? He's going to work through providence. He's going to work through uh, the normal actions of life in most cases. Not that he can't miracle gas into your gas car or gas car into your gas tank. It's not that he can't do that. It's that more often than not, he he's going to work through the normal events, the normal things of life. That's what we call. That's what we call providence. Abraham is acting. On God's promise, but he's also trusting that God is going to fulfill his promise. In verse 8, he says, uh, uh, he says, Abraham's continuing. He said, the God, that's the promise-keeping God, he's going to do this. In verse 8, and he said, and if the woman is not willing, if the woman, be, if, if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath, only bring not my son thither again. Why didn't he want Isaac to go back to Haran? Why does Isaac need to stay in the promised land? Probably so he won't be corrupted. Well, he's going to get corrupted by, the, there's Canaanites all around him. So he's, he's in a place where corruption is very possible even now. But Isaac, him being in the promised land is almost like a picture of the promised land being deeded to them. Even we're going to see in chapter 26 of Genesis, even when there's a famine in the land and there's nothing to eat, God forbids Isaac to go down to Egypt. He says, you stay right where you're at. You stay. His presence in the, in the promised land is almost like a, I don't want to say a down payment on God's promise, but it's almost like a, a sign, a symbol that this land, just like that plot that Abraham bought for his wife, it's almost like a, him being there is he is the rightful owner of this land and all y'all who are living here just don't realize it yet. And so he says, don't take them back there. But he says, if the woman's not willing, you're free from your oath. Now, think about what he's doing there. He's trusting that God, he said, the angel of the Lord is going to go before you. He's going to provide your wife. And if, you know, if by chance, just to settle your mind, if you're not able, the woman's not willing, then you're, you're free from the oath. Uh, he is trusting that God is going to take care of this. Now, you need to make sure you recognize this language. In this time, it didn't make any difference whatsoever if the woman was willing or not. If her daddy said, you're going to go marry Joe, yeah, get you a dress and pick it out because you're going to marry Joe. Okay? And so, this is some strange language there. He said, he says, if the woman, you need to remember this, we're going to need it later. If the woman is not willing, then you, uh, you're free from the oath. Don't worry about it. It's all good. He knows that God is going to provide 
Goliath. Okay? Y'all with me? Everybody with me? Alright. So, anyway. He says, the servant is going to do exactly what his master has done. The servant is going to do exactly what Abraham has done. He is going to trust in God that God's going to provide, but he's also going to act. He's not going to sit on his hands and wait. He's going to act. He's going to provide. If you, uh, you know, if you want to, if you're praying, I just thought of a good example. If you're praying to get into a certain college, you know, Probably a good idea to apply to that college, you know what I mean? And God will act. If you're praying to get a certain job, probably a good idea to go fill out an application, go interview, go, you know, and God is going to move in those things if he, if he chooses to, uh, to do that. And so the servant does the same thing. He's about to go trusting God to find a woman that he's never met in a land he probably has never been in. This is the servant of Abraham. This isn't Abraham. And so he's going to an unknown place, to an unknown people to find some woman that he... My, Abraham says God is picked out for him. Ugh, that's just crazy. And so what he does, verse 10, it says, And the servant took ten camels of his, of his master and departed, for, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. Who is Nahor? Abraham's brother. Abraham's brother. That's right. That's right. And so he didn't just wander around aimlessly thinking God's going to miracle it. Yes, I know I'm using miracle as a verb. I don't care. He didn't just wander around aimlessly thinking, you know, God is going to provide a wife. You know, he loaded up the camels with gifts because he knows when he gets there, he's going to have to do some negotiating. That's how marriages worked in this time. You had to negotiate. Remember Abraham negotiating with his quote unquote sister, Sarah? And so uh, he knows he's going to do some negotiating to get this woman. This is not going to be God just zapping everything and it all falls into place. He's preparing himself. But he's also trusting in God. You're going to see that here in a minute. And he made his camels, uh, he came to Mesopotamia, he came to the city of Nahor, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. So he is strategic. He's he's gets to the place where he's supposed to go, and he knows he knows where the chicks hang out. You know, they all hang out at the well at evening. They all come to draw water. What better time than to go out if I'm trying to find a woman, if I'm trying to find a woman for Isaac? I'm gonna go where the I'm gonna go where the women hang out, you know, and let's scope them out and see what we can find. And so he makes his he makes his camels to kneel down right there, and he is he's acting, he's strategic, he's got a plan, he's got a purpose, but he is also trusting that God is going to provide. Look what he says. He says, and he said, he prayed, verse twelve, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, make me successful is what that means, and. Show kindness. That word kindness, the Hebrew word is chesed. And that word is covenant faithfulness. It's loving kindness in a lot of places. It's mercy, grace. It's, it's, um, it's, he's basically appealing to the promise that God has made to Abraham. Show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water. He says, let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I might drink 
drink. Let her say, drink and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Now, he is has a plan. He's going to go where the chicks hang out. He's going to go at the time that they all come out to draw water. So he's going to, but he's also trusting that God is going to make his choice known. Now, this is not a, this is, this is an insane request. Um, I did a little digging. Uh, usually the, from pottery shards and just things that they found, you know, a pot could be uh, the jar that they come to get water. It could be anywhere from two to four gallons of, you know, I mean, four gallons would be kind of heavy. So most of them probably about three gallons, I would think. But a camel coming from a desert journey could drink 25 gallons of water. Do you know that? No. I didn't know that either. I don't know much about camels. I mean, I'm not saying that that he, that all of them would, but they could drink up to 25 gallons. Store, you know, and that's how they go through the desert. They could drink up to 25 gallons of water, and this guy had 10 of them. <laughs> so when he, so if a if if a, a lady comes by and says, you know. Hey, I'm going to water your camels also. <laughs> That's not like just giving them a cup and saying, oh, okay, let me strap the... I mean, you're going to have to make... You got a three-gallon jar. You're going to make like 80 trips to the well to water these camels if they all drink 25 gallons. And so this is like... I mean, it would be one thing for him to say, hey, feed my camels and I'm going to come stay at your house. I mean, then you got, okay, baby, nobody's going to offer to feed your 10 camels. I mean, that's just insane. And so he is, he is, he's desiring God to make his choice known, make it clear, make it absolutely undeniable that this is his choice. And that's exactly what happens. If you know the story, uh, it says, I'm probably going to stop reading here in just a minute, just for time's sake, but um, he, he placed himself where providence would, would do its work, where God would do his work through providence. And he trusted God that God is going to make his choice, um, make his choice known, control the, the, the circumstances of what goes on. And it says, verse 15 says, And it came to pass before he was done speaking, before he had finished his prayer, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor. She is from the right family. Abraham's brother with her pitcher on her shoulder and the damsel was very fair. She was hot. That's two things. She was from the right family. She looked really good. <laughs> she was a virgin, never had any man known her. So she's she's uh, available. Yeah. So that's look, that's three strikes down. You know, this this could be the one. She's got all the she's got all the credentials that we're looking for, right? And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, came up, and the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water from thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hastened and let down the pitcher to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had done giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. Now, she's the one. I mean, he's going to recognize that she's the one. She's from the right family. She's available. She's beautiful. She did exactly what he prayed God would show that this would be the one. And so she is the one. Now, here's my question to you. Do you think, and this is just for discussion, 
Do you think her saying, hey, I'll water your camels also showed that she's just a really good person? Or do you think that God was working in her where she was like, hey, can I feed your camels also? And then like she's like, what? Why, why did I say that? I don't want to feed his camels. What do you think? It's more than just uh, being at the right place at the right time. You know, it, it really is God's hand in the motion. Yeah. It, we always say coincidence. Yeah. I like to say God knew what he was doing. Yeah. Coincidence. Providence is coincidence controlled. She has the heart of servitude. See, that's what I she does have the heart of a servant, but it's also God's hand. It's not, she wasn't taken over all of a sudden and say, yes, I will feed your camels also. What happened? You know, it wasn't like that at all. It wasn't like that at all. She, out of her own heart, she said, I'll feed, you know, I'll water your camels also. But it was God working in the midst of all of this. Exactly what the servant prayed. Exactly uh, how he prayed. This is exactly what God did in order that he would know that this is the woman that God has chosen. This is not, you know, the servant could walk around and say, I'll take in. I'll take you. I'll take you. I'll take you. And I'll bring all six of y'all back home and we'll let Isaac pick, you know. No, he wanted God's choice for the seed, the one who would, the woman who would be through through whom the seed of promise would be born through. And we're going to see that line move uh, from Isaac to Jacob and then from Jacob to Jacob's sons and then all the way down through David and then all the way down through uh, Mary and Joseph to Christ or Mary to Christ anyway. And so we're going to see how, how that plays out. But she responds exactly the way that he prayed. And so he is acting he is moving. He is strategic. He's working. But he's also trusting that God is going to provide. God is going to provide the one he wants, the one he has desired. It says, when she had hasted and emptied her pitcher, in verse 20, into the trough, uh, and ran again to the well of the water, draw water for his camels. And the man wondered at her, the man wondering at her, held his peace to it, whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. He was looking at, and it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took, this is the servant, took golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of 10 shekels weight of gold. I only read that to show you I found out this week that 10 shekels weight of silver, this is talking about a weight, not a shekel, shekel, you know, 10 shekels weight of silver was about the average year's worth of pay for a worker, for a regular worker. And so her bracelets now are 10 shekels weight of gold. And so this was like, I think you might be the one. I'm going to give you a house. <laughs> it's like a big old gift. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, it's a big old gift. And of course, you know what happens. Uh, I'm going to speed up here for time's sake. She runs back to the runs back to her house and they give the servant, uh, you know, food and water. And uh, the servant spends most of this chapter is the servant retelling this whole story about Abraham and who he is and what God has promised him. And he finally comes to the point where he tells her family, uh, I'm here to find a wife for my master's son, Isaac, and your daughter's it. You know, and he asks, uh, he asks, you know, can, uh, can, can, can she come home with me? Basically, he's saying, y'all never go see her again. <laughs> We're going way over here. She's going to marry Isaac and I'm going to take her away. And 
Is that okay with y'all? And what he's doing here is negotiating. This is how it's done. It's done. Uh, the woman don't get a say. I'm sorry. Back back then, it was arranged marriages. That's how it worked. And so they would barter. They would they would agree on the proper price, and they would the bride price is what they called it. And they would you know they would uh, uh, give sanction to the marriage to to happen. So he is negotiating with Laban is the name of her brother. We're going to meet him again when Jacob comes back to find him a wife. Um, And so all this goes on in verse 49. We'll skip on down to 49. The servant says, after he tells this whole story, he says, Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. He says, if you're going to let me take her with you, let me know. And if not, let me know because I'm going to keep looking. And so verse 50 says, Laban and Bethuel answered, says, This thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. When Lord is all capitalized, what is the word? Y'all should know. What is it? Yahweh. Yahweh. That is the word. The covenant keeping God. They agree. They agree. It's not exactly normal for a dude to travel all these miles, you know, and come to get my daughter to, or my, my sister, be Laban's sister, to, uh, you know, to, to bring them for all this way. But they said, it is from the Lord we agree. Now, do you think that they thought it was just a great idea? Or do you think that God's providence has moved in their hearts? better way to phrase the question let me ask you this when the servant gets back we're not done yet but when the servant gets back to Abraham would it be the servant's ingenuity and his wonderfulness and his great negotiating skills that convince the family to let Rebecca go or would the thanks belong to God that's an easy question to answer it's an easy question to answer but do you see God is moving and working just like he has done all through Abraham's life but here we see God is moving and working through the normal everyday actions the normal things of life so a lot of times we're walking around at work we're walking around at school we're hanging with our friends we're going about the routines of our life family and and you know sometimes we're, we're looking for God to looking for God to do something you know looking for God to when God is acting all around us the righteous man's steps are ordered by the Lord it says all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose his providence is always at work and he can be trusted even in the mundane things of life even in the day in day out grind of work and family and strained relationships and all the things that you got going on he can be trusted even when all you see is just the normal stuff going on around you the normal events of life he can be trusted and so God's even said that you know this thing proceeded from the Lord yes they understood that this was if we we didn't we we skipped over the servant's explanation to them because he repeated a lot of the things that we've already read but you'll see in that he attributes this is God this is Abraham my my master God brought my master out God promised my master and so he's he's telling them all about the story you can go back and read that all that he tells them uh, but they they agree now here is where this is the part that's amazing to me but here is where it gets tricky 
Because although they agree, for some reason, and I I can't tell you why, and you can't tell me why because nobody knows. But for some reason, I can tell you why I think. They, they don't change their mind, but they change the deal. Okay? In verse, uh, skipping down to verse 54, it says, and okay, they stayed the night, they celebrated, we're going to have a new wife, she's going to come with me, it's going to all be good. And verse 54, it says, they did eat and drink, and all the men that were with them, they tarried all night, and they rose up in the morning and said, send me away to my master. The servant said, okay, we're ready to go. And her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least ten, and then she shall go. And he said unto them, hinder me not, seeing that the Lord has prospered all I send me away, that I may go to my master. Why did they change their mind and say she's got to hang out here for at least 10 days? It could be that they wanted to check out his story. I don't know. I mean, we're not told. It could be that they just wanted some extra time before they never see her again. I mean, we can come up with all kinds of things, but God has a purpose why they change their minds. You know what the purpose is? The purpose is in the next verse. And they said, the the servant says, no, 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 no. We got to go now. And he said, they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebecca and said unto her, wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Now, this was not done ever. The woman didn't get a say. The woman didn't get a say in the arranged marriage. They arranged it. The the price had been paid. The dowry had been given. The exchange is done. Sorry. You know, if you don't like the dude you're marrying, you know, uh, get used to it. You know, but why did they, they, in changing their mind, they said, you know what? We're going to let her decide if she wants to go. Why is that important? Because Abraham said that if she chooses, that's fine. But if not, then fine. That's right. All the way back in the beginning of the story, what was the oath that the servant took? If she is not willing... You're released from your oath. So if the servant would have took off with Rebecca, who didn't want to go, and her family said, go ahead, take her. You know, look at all these camels this guy's got. I'll trade you 10 camels for my daughter, you know, or my sister, whatever it was. I'll I'll get all this gold. Give me all that stuff. Take her with you. She's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. The servant would have been released from his oath. Because she was not willing. Abraham told her, told the servant, if the woman is not willing. He didn't say if her, her daddy was not willing or her family was not willing or her brother was not willing. He said if the woman, he trusted that God would not only point out the woman that he wanted for Isaac. Not only move in the events to bring the servant to the woman that he wanted for Isaac. But he would also move in the heart of the woman so she would want to come back to to this guy she's never seen before in a land she's never been to before. That is absolutely amazing to me. That not only does God's providence move in the events and the circumstances of our lives, but it also moves in the hearts of people. How many of you have ever had, you know, Jesus said that men will give to your bosom, poured out, turned over all the, how, how does that happen except God moves in the heart of people, moves in the heart of men, moves in the heart of women. He moved in the heart of Rebecca and he moved in the heart of their family to, you know, to to make them have an opportunity to give Rebecca a voice. Because if they would have just sent her and she hated to go and didn't want to go and I don't want to, 
he would have been released from his oath. The servant wouldn't have been wouldn't have been bound to bring her because she didn't want to go. She was seen to be willing. And the only reason she was asked was because the family said, yeah, we're not going to go. Let's wait a little while. You see how all that worked together? I mean, that's just impossible that that could have all happened by chance. It was just amazing how God worked all in and through that to bring every little detail to pass just as he had deemed it so. Y'all with me? With me? Okay. All right. We we can trust God in normal events. That's the... uh, That's the basic thing I want you to see. But through the end of this chapter, and I hope you go home and read it because it's really long and we wasn't going to be able to read every single verse here. But as the servants bringing them home and bringing Rebecca home, the, the caravan is coming into Abraham's land and she spots Isaac. And she sees him off in the distance and she asks the servant, who, who is this guy? And he said, that's Abraham, my master's son, Isaac. And so she puts the, the veil on her so he can't see her and all this stuff. And when, when all is said and done at the end of the chapter, they fall in love. They love each other. He brings her into his mother, Sarah, who died tent, showing that she is now the matriarch of the family. She is now the 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 head of the family. Not the head, you know, Abraham's the head, Isaac's the head, but she is the matriarch of the family. Um, and so it all worked for good to bring this woman who was the perfect from the perfect family, the right family, who was the right age, the right, you know, availability. She was willing because God moved in her heart, willing to go. And not only that, but she brought them together to that had never met. And they had the the <coughs> ordained marriage through whom the seed would come. But they also fell in love. So they had it. They had everything. God had brought it all together from thousands of miles away, different places, people who had never met before. I'm sure Abraham remembered his brother Nahor. But other than that, no, none of these people had ever met each other before. God brought them from two different locations, two different families. All this stuff going on in the way the slightest little monkey wrench in the plan could have derailed the whole thing. But God worked through providence in every single aspect to not only bring the perfect woman, not not the perfect woman, but the perfect woman for Isaac to come and have the promised seed, but also gave Rebecca and Isaac a marriage of love, not just arrangement. You see that? Everybody makes sense? Makes sense? And so the long story short, God works through everyday, ordinary mundane things of life and we can trust him to keep his word it doesn't mean we sit on our hands and don't do anything and hope it falls out of the sky but it means that we act responsibly we act obediently and we leave the results to god trusting that he knows what he's doing and he fights for his word to come to pass y'all with me you see how the servant played a good intercessor between them uh huh. He did. He did. To me, I picture that as you Christ. see Jesus in it. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you today for your word. Thank you for showing us, God, that 